This program was made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for Radio Broadcast and through the accessmedia.org.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and hello. Welcome back. I'm Kitty Fitton and this is Ordinary Life, a program about normal Kiwis just living normal, ordinary lives with extra little issues, shall we say, along the way. And this week I am proving that truth is stranger than fiction always because, um, well, I had some technical issues with some bits and pieces and so I am now cheating and I have invited somebody I know rather well to talk to us about their life and it's actually my partner Mike Doyle and he's come to talk to us about well it's it's something I had no idea existed I had no idea it was possible to survive from and it's um, sudden cardiac arrest so you really are a bit of a dead man walking that sounds terrible (laughs) but it's true so mike could you tell us what happened to you sure kitty first off it's um delight to be here thank you and uh supporting you and your radio uh, show so i've always liked motorcycles and riding on motorcycle tracks and stuff like that it's loads of fun on this particular day that was two and a half years ago i was up at manfield racetrack and it was the first time my wonderful partner had come with me i've paid him lots of money to say these things well i don't remember much that day um other than a brief second of of looking over my shoulder and going Ah, this isn't good. Those weren't the exact words, but... This is radio, Mike. We can't swear. True. And um, I I remember a very brief moment of it being completely pitch black, like the blackest nothing um, I've ever experienced. And the next moment, I was mid-conversation in the cardiac ward at... Palmerston North Hospital somewhat bemused at my predicament. Whereas the rest of us had had quite a different story in that I'd been a dutiful girlfriend watching Mike ride around the track on his motorbike like um, a small boy having a great fun and then we suddenly noticed I was with a friend and I noticed that the race had stopped and I looked across the track and there was a prone figure completely still on the grass. And I said, that's Mike. And my friend went, no, don't be ridiculous. But it was. And um, I was taken over there uh, in a car. And uh, I got out of the car and uh, I remember they said, you can't look at this, you can't see this. And tried to get me to get back in. And I pushed my friend out of the way and uh, I saw Mike on his back and a first responder, a man doing CPR. And I just stood there and thought, wow, this this shouldn't be happening. That was um, Darren from ProMed, who 
We subsequently learned. Who is Dean from Prom? Yeah, Dean from Prom. <laughs> we subsequently learned lives just down the road. In Romatsy Beach. Years ago, I was in the St. John. And um, I knew that after about 20 minutes, it would, it's supposed to be, let's just say, quite bad. Um, but you had CPR for what, about 30 minutes, didn't you? Yes, I was um, released under street conditions um, not to share, but I was released the CCTV footage of the event. And from, I can see the moment the cardiac arrest happened, and I continued to ride for about 12 seconds. That would have just been muscle memory and things. And then I fell off. Moments later, the ambulance left. And so CPR started after about 90-odd seconds. So I was watching the time on the um, CCTV footage. Now, luckily, I'd managed to fall in the gap between the two cameras. Uh, But at about 35 minutes after the event, the ambulance with me in it pulled away. So I estimate I was down and receiving CPR for about... About 32 minutes. Well, that, that, that kind of would be right, because I do remember somebody, Gary, chap who was in charge of the event, coming to me and saying, oh, we've got him back. And I said, "Can he? is he, is he speaking? And he said, no, but we've got, we've got a heartbeat. And I just said, well, a heartbeat is not, is not alive. And I, I, I just kept thinking you might have had a stroke or something would have happened and... There was no way you were going to come back from it. And um, at the hospital, our, the doctors were very clear that uh, there wouldn't be... It, it was highly unlikely that you would be you right. if was, you came back at all. Not a good prognosis. It was not a good prognosis. <laughs> no. Um, and three days later, you woke up. Which was amazing. But it's left you with, I mean, you know, you were in hospital a long time. You had amnesia. Yes, as I said, there were... I want to say, do you remember that? <laughs> so the, the first memory I have after the event um, was 10 days later. And that was the 27th of, oh, of um, October. And um, it was kind of like Groundhog Day for everyone else, though, because Mike would wake up and we'd all say at first we'd go, oh, oh, you've had this terrible accident and this has happened and you you needed to make sure that you, you know, hold this towel to your chest when you cough because it will hurt. And and then after a while you'd go, oh, right, you've had an accident. Hold this towel when you cough. You're going to forget everything again in 10 minutes. It was an interesting time. But yes, the team in Palmerston North cardiology were wonderful. Mm, they were um, amazing. The team in ICU were outstanding for getting me back. Mm. And then I was transferred to Wellington, uh, where again, I, I was seen to by a fantastic cardiology team. And on day about day 14 after the event... I had a defibrillator implanted in my side mm. to um, 
help stop the same happening again. And and you thought you were going to go back to work and everything would be exactly as it was before, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. I was pre-event, I was Mr. Indestructible. If anything needed to be done, I could get it done and nothing could knock me off my feet. So definitely, I'd be back at work by the end of the week. Yeah. And um, the rest of us did have our misgivings. However, Mike's not the sort of person you tell what to do. Um, and I think it came even a shock even to us as to the level of um, I don't know, difficulty that you experienced afterwards. So, I mean, I suppose if we just backtrack a little bit, Mike, what had happened to you? I mean, you know, what is a sudden cardiac arrest? I, like I think everyone, or almost everyone, thought that a sudden cardiac arrest and a heart attack were kind of synonyms. Um, they really aren't. Mm. When you have a heart attack, well, a heart attack is generally induced by your arteries in your heart being blocked or partially blocked, usually as a result of diet or lifestyle or whatever else. But not but, always, because people will get very cross. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that's certainly not always. But it is yeah. a yeah, it, it is a common reason. But effectively, your heart is still pumping. It just has a restriction, so the blood flow is reduced mm. to part of your heart. With a cardiac arrest, your heart goes into a very, very fast, very, very irregular pattern where... It's just going crazy, but not actually pumping any blood around your body. So there's no blood going to any of your organs, not going to your brain, nothing. You, your blood pressure is basically zero. So effectively, everything in you starts to die straight away. And I think that's the biggest shock for, for us, is that you know, people that, that witnessed it, is that when you have a heart attack... Quite often people are conscious and they they can be treated or sit sat down and or maybe they'll be speaking or breathless. You don't perform CPR on people that are alive. Uh, no, no. I know, I mean, obviously Kitty, but I do know several other uh, people who are trained as first responders. And they've all said to me, CPR is only done if you are clinically dead. It's not a good look. Um, So that's one of the struggles I have, I must admit I have um, to this day, is people ask, oh, so what happened? And I'll say, I had a cardiac arrest. To which I get, oh yeah, my uncle had a heart attack. My my auntie Sally had had one of those. Yeah, it was terrible. She... She was in a lot of pain and complained bitterly. And yeah. Yes, if you had a car, have a cardiac arrest, the key giveaway is you won't be complaining. <laughs> um, which also, yeah, as a wee side note, as someone who's received CPR, if you think someone's had a cardiac arrest, you can start CPR, start the chest compressions. Your body has quite a lot of oxygen in it. So if you're uncomfortable with you know, the mouth-to-mouth breathing, just do the chest compressions. Now, if the person starts to complain, you can stop. If they're <laughs> not complaining, 
you're not making it worse. Yeah, I mean, because that's an interesting point. I, d I did read um, a news report recently of, uh, I think someone, I can't remember who, they'd been skiing somewhere and they'd hit a pole and they'd hit it in their chest and someone had performed CPR on them. And then I think the family uh, had said that CPR had contributed to her death um, because there was damage to the chambers of the heart due to over-enthusiastic CPR. And I just thought, well, apparently, you know, they didn't know if they had been damaged by the impact anyway. But you don't do CPR unless the outcome is pretty bleak anyway, am I right? Um, yes, yes. Yeah. So essentially, a cardiac arrest means that you've gone into ventricle fibrillation or ventricle tachycardia. So that's the big chambers at the bottom, yeah, the bottom half of your heart. Yeah. The chambers that actually do the bulk of the pushing the blood around, just you, are beating at about 250 or more beats per minute. So things are going crazy in your heart. So is every any, every chance that the damage to your heart is caused by the fact that your heart's just gone crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the the, the thing is, though, Mike, I mean, you are here now and you, you sound, you sound great. I mean, I'm sure people listening to you would, would just think, well, he's clearly an articulate, intelligent man. What happened to you afterwards? Did you go back to work? Right. So this is where things get really interesting if they're not already. So, as Kitty said, my, my chances of coming through it without essentially being severely brain damaged was very, very low. But I have come through it with all of my cognitive capabilities. Now, everyone tells me, and I believe, that I'm actually able to do everything I used to be able to do. However, my capacity for doing things is tiny it's like if i try and think or do any heavy cognitive work it's like doing it through concrete mm. um or, or wet concrete and i will i mean my recovery basically went through essentially about i break it into about four phases the first three months was just really trying to work out whether or not I was going to die again. Mm. Which sounds a bit grim, but that was that was it. Then things stabilised and I focused on my return to work. And in that, I found through doing much experimentation on myself, changing my work patterns, the most I was ever able to do was work for an hour and a half a day but I had to break that up into 45-minute stints, and I could only do it four times a week. But the net result of that was all the time I was awake when I wasn't working, I was essentially in a zombie state. You know, I would come upstairs and go and think, I need to have some lunch, but I had no idea how to make lunch. I didn't know how to make toast because this cognitive fatigue was so great. That must have been quite scary. I mean, how did... I mean, obviously I do know, but I'm, I'm, I'm asking for the sake of, of people that are not aware of it. How did it affect your family and those around you? Um, 
it was it was pretty it was pretty brutal mm. um i mean i was i still had the drive i used to have i was still viewed myself as mr unstoppable um i didn't want to give up on i'm going to get back to work mm. i'm going to conquer this yeah because i've conquered everything in my life and this is just another one mm. so i pushed myself i i it must i must have been fairly unpleasant a fairly unpleasant person to be with at times because i was just so fatigued and i also had the risk of whenever i was doing anything i could quite literally fall asleep anywhere there were times where i had to be stopped from falling asleep essentially at the side of the road on the footpath so you know you mentioned that you had you know terrible fatigue so um if that happens does that mean that you i don't know can has it stopped you doing anything like can you still drive for example or so the things that tire me um the most are complex cognitive um, problems so you mean things like thinking about stuff yes i mean so in my previous role i would be reviewing contracts uh putting together budgets running complex meetings with multiple parties that was just insanely tiring but what about you know there's the day-to-day stuff as well that also requires thought i mean I was reviewing insurance the other day or maybe just checking your bank accounts. Yes, I mean, things like that. So now when I've been reviewing my insurance or even just changing my phone provider, these are things that I guess most people would do in the in their lunch break. Uh, for me, I set aside an entire day to do it. Wow. And I hope that when I wake up, yeah, I would plan to do that, say, tomorrow. And I hope that I will wake up feeling well enough to be able to get it done tomorrow. But if I've done too much today, there's every chance all I'll be able to do tomorrow is just get myself dressed and get myself fed and, and basically wander around the house doing whatever tiny tasks I can. Yeah, because um, it's also left you... You've got the fatigue... But you've also got um, issues, I believe, with your heart rate and your heart has been knocked into um, atrial fibrillation. It's never really recovered. So what what does that mean? Yes, so um, one thing I've learned about myself since the cardiac arrest is I've always had a propensity to go into what's known as atrial fibrillation. And that's where the top chambers of your heart flutter rather than beating regularly they just you know, flap about wow but they're kind of a bit like a primer pump for your ventricles so it's annoying but it's not terribly life-threatening mm. now i've always had i now know i've always had a propensity if i do very strenuous physical work such as you know trying to sprint down the road i mm. go into atrial fibrillation wow unfortunately in october I was doing some work around the house and my wonderful partner kept telling me, you need to knock it off. Did, You're did they really tell tired you that you were overdoing it, Mike? That I was overdoing it. Mm. And that night I sat on the sofa just completely zoned out and feeling awful. We called an ambulance and I was yeah. taken off to hospital. And <laughs> then um, 
told I was in atrial flutter and then they managed to calm that down a bit to atrial fibrillation and sent home. And when you did a bit of housework the next day, Mike, what happened? Yeah, the next day I did a bit of housework and my defibrillator detected that my heart rate was out of control and delivered a shock. Yeah. And so I was off to hospital again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Two, two ambulance rides in three days is not a great way to impress your partner. Um, Especially when I, I believe your partner had, had told you that you might have been overdoing it. There is that. Mm. There's a moral there somewhere, eh? <laughs> so, not that I've heard about it at all since. But I'm, I'm sure that they, I mean I, would never bring that up. Of no. course not. Of no. course not. But no, the unfortunate <laughs> outcome of that is since... The 30th of October, my heart has been stuck in atrial fibrillation. So it basically, at one moment, it can be beating at 40 beats per minute. And the next moment, just because I walked upstairs too too quickly, it'll be beating at 230 beats per minute. Gosh, that is quite something, really. Um, yes, that does involve an awful lot of sitting down mm. and panting and um, just deciding to do nothing for the next yeah. half an hour. But in all seriousness, and you know, uh, you were a really active person before this happened. I mean, I know that you'd done the round tilpole cycle race and you liked going tramping and, and you, you were like Mr. Super Active. Mm. So... What of those activities can you do? Can you still do any of that stuff? So prior to October, so I, I've basically viewed my life in, in various stages now. So the post SCA to um, October. SCA being the cardiac arrest. Yes, sudden yeah. cardiac arrest. Prior to the, the cardiac arrest, I would run life at about 120, 130%. Very modest, Mike. Very I, I I could not sit down and do nothing, not even for five minutes. Mm. I always had to be doing something. The more I was doing, the happier I was. Yeah. Post-cardiac arrest, my output would have been about 20% of what an average person does. Mm -hmm. And post-October, being in atrial fibrillation, I estimate I'm down at around 4%, which is... Um, a little frustrating, yeah, shall I, can I say. Imagine. So you can't do a great deal anymore and you are stuck in atrial fibrillation. But, I mean, some people would say you are still here. You know, I mean, but I mean, what do you, what do you th think the future holds for you? Well, the future holds, um, I mean, it's been... A difficult journey getting here. Yeah. Um, because of the cardiac arrest, one thing we've not really touched on is I have suspected hypoxic brain damage. Mm. And that's why everything is so hard. Yeah. Fortunately, it's diffuse um, brain damage. So little bits, or, or all of my brain is affected, but each bit in a little way. Right. So kind of a bit kind Swiss of like cheesy. scattergun type yeah. thing, yeah. So that means that, yeah, I get fatigued quite easily and I have to, uh, I've had to give up doing certain things. Yeah. And it's basically prevented me from being able to get back to work. 
So I've had to accept that I am no longer that guy. I am now completely a different person. That must have been really difficult to come to terms with. Yeah, yeah, that that was that was pretty um, pretty hard work. But you can sit around and go, "Oh, woe is me." Mm. We can go, "Well, this is it," and get on with it and make the best of it. So that's what I've done, and, and look for the positives. And I must say, one positive, and I'm not sure how the listeners will take this is I realized, having been high up in the corporate sector and high up in IT for my mm-hmm. entire life, yeah, that was somewhat constraining on, my, on aspects of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I always had to be ready. Even you know, if I was on holiday overseas, I would still always be you know, able to present the corporate image. Jump into action. Jump into action. Or I might run into a client whilst on holiday in Vanuatu. I had to always be presenting this professional yeah, persona. I don't have to do that anymore. So I've actually had an opportunity to explore who I really am and what makes me happy. And one of the things that makes me happy is, it turns out, is challenging norms that I think don't necessarily make sense. So what you're saying is that you, you, you're doing things that maybe you didn't do before because they weren't viewed as being corporate enough or manly enough or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. for example, I turned out uh, before my employment was terminated, I turned up to a team meeting with red nail polish. And one of the team members said to me, what's with the red nail polish? To which I just said to him, why is it even a question? <laughs> That's really good. I like that. It's great that you're, you know, so you're out there, you're exploring new things and doing new new stuff. Um, but you've had this experience and I guess some people might say if you were gone, if you like, for like 30 minutes... Uh, did you have any kind of experiences? I mean, did you see the light at the end of the tunnel? Or, you know, did you have any kind of out-of-body experience? Uh, no, no, <laughs> I, 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 I had none. Um, the, and I've thought a lot about it. Um, and I've come to the conclusion that, and... People may flame me for this or whatever else. But I think what happens when you know, events like this happen, when you get a near-death experience, what you expect to happen is what will happen. Mm-hmm. Because um, it's very traumatic and your brain will create for you what is most comforting for you at that time. And therefore... I mean, for me, I'm a hardcore scientist. My expectation is when I pass away, I just finish. Gosh, that's grim. Not really. Um, (laughs) It does. It sounds grim. But what it does say is, if this is my only life, shouldn't I make it the best and make it the best it can be for anyone I meet? Well, I I would agree with that, yeah. Um, And... um... What do you wish people knew about sudden cardiac arrest? I mean, how many people are out there with this? 
so this is where um, I have to admit I struggle a little bit. So, I mean, Kitty, you have your Parkinson's and you have local people that you can sit down with and have a coffee with and talk about how you feel. And you've got an online community. Yeah, I do. Um, I know of two people in the Wellington region through a Facebook group who have survived a cardiac arrest. My only support is through a cardiac arrest. So there is a degree of loneliness in that I'm the only person I know who's been through it. Mm. I can't have a coffee with anyone. And no one, as we touched on earlier, no one understands what it actually is. So... I guess, like, I, I know we were out the other week and somebody said, oh, you're not walking very fast. And <laughs> we laughed, eh? Because yeah. if Mike walks too fast, well, his heart might give out. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> Quite oh. frankly. It's, it's like, yeah, yeah you, you, you might have injured your foot, but at least if you walk too fast to the end of the street you won't need to have an ambulance there yeah. to meet you. Yeah. Um, but And that's one of the other struggles. So is, that's an interesting point as well, because people just look at you and think, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. So six, foot, six foot five, slim, fit. Yeah, I look perfectly healthy. Modest. But at times I'll be standing in the supermarket, just leaning against a shelf, panting, because I'm... My heart is out of control because I've just done too much that day. I've tried to do too many things, uh, which might be I cleaned the kitchen before going to the supermarket. Mm. Or I'll sit down on, you know, a park bench or whatever else and hold my head in my hands and just try and recover. And it feels like people walk past and, and look judgmentally yeah. As if, God, what's wrong with you? Mm. You're slacker. It's like, well, if I keep going, um, I'm likely to fall over <laughs> and need urgent medical attention. It's so just nobody wants that again. Uh, no, 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 no. I've done done that. Got close to doing it a few times already. Um, it's not fun. So um, is there anything you'd like to leave us with? Any parting thought or... Any message that you have for people? The main one would be that sudden cardiac arrest or cardiac arrest is not a heart attack. A heart attack can lead to cardiac arrest, mm. but they are different. And a cardiac arrest is fairly easily identified. The person will just drop yeah, cause you to were, the floor. Because you were incredibly lucky you were where you were, and oh. that's someone could administer first aid yes well without that you you would be dead oh yes because i was riding on the motorbike at the time and all the marshals were watching the track and the first responder was standing in their station next to the ambulance they responded very quickly it Mm. was seen and i was saved if it had happened 10 minutes earlier when i was sitting in the pits we would not be having this conversation. Yeah, and that is quite a sobering thought, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it is quite sobering. But I um, do like your attitude of saying it's helped you to realise 
that life is to be lived. Absolutely. And a good life. Yes, and a good life doesn't mean, you know, earning the most money or having the most things. Actually, a good life is having nice people around you and making people smile and laugh. You know, and if they laugh at me, <laughs> as long as they laugh, that's great. Well, Mike, I think it's definitely a, a much brighter attitude to have. And um, I think we get plenty of laughs and together. Thank you very, very much for coming and talking to me. Thank you for having me. It's been my absolute pleasure. And if there is any time left, I'm not sure. I think um, we should play a tune. That sounds like a fabulous idea. Thank you very much. And uh, the record I've chosen this week is Heart by the Pet Shop Boys. By the Pet Shop Boys, of course. Sing